let's go to First Chronicles chapter 28, and we're going to look at the 10th verse. Actually, I'd like to back up so we read the context of what we're reading. Let's start with the verse number 9, okay? Uh, verses 9 and 10 are verses where David is talking to Solomon before his death. Solomon is about to take over and uh, become the king of Israel. And so David is talking to him about this and giving him some instructions, all right? And uh, in the ninth verse, it says, as David is talking to Solomon, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. That's a good truth to remember, okay? The Lord understands everything that's going on. He knows what we're thinking he knows what's going on inside of our heart, even when others do not know. So, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Then verse 10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Okay? Now, in our day and age, Nike has a little advertising slogan, you know, just do it. But really, they were not the ones that came up with this originally. It was God thousands of years ago through David to Solomon where he told Solomon, be strong and do what you're told to do. He said to Solomon, remember now, the Lord has chosen you to do something. And the something that he's been chosen to do is build a house for the sanctuary. Now, back in his day, it was an actual construction project. They were building a building. It was the sanctuary for God. And David was not allowed to do this because God told him, you have been a man of bloodshed for many years, and so I don't want you building my temple. Okay, you've shed much blood in your lifetime. I'm going to let your son take care of this responsibility. And so this is what's going on. God has chosen him to build a house, and he's told to be strong to do it. I love it. Simple statements like this are the ones that I have been feasting on for 36 years in the Philippines. These simple, too easy to misunderstand statements. Be strong and do it. Don't give me excuses telling me why you can't do what I'm telling you to do, which is what people like to do. As soon as you know they're confronted with something that seemingly is insurmountable, they start looking for excuses to justify backing out and you know, trying to convince God that somehow he made a mistake in asking us to do things that we don't think we can accomplish. But for us today, we're not instructed to build a sanctuary in the sense of building a building, even though we're in one here tonight. That's not what he's talking about in a New Testament context. We're talking here about having the strength to build the body of Christ, to build the kingdom of God, church by church, person by person, uh, country by country, wherever we're sent and led to go by God, we are instructed to build something for him. Whether you know this or not, you and I and all of us are in the construction business. Okay, We are ordained or chosen by God to build the kingdom of God, block by block, person by person, town by town, city by city, and so forth. Okay, We're in the construction business. Okay, It might include building a building, but in a spiritual sense, it's talking about people. And God has chosen us to be a part of the construction process. 
And he's telling us that no matter what we're supposed to do, we need to be strong to finish the job we are assigned to complete, whatever that may be. Okay. Now I've said for years and years, you know, and you, if you've heard me preach in this church, you have, if you've been coming here for a while, you know, I just, I don't believe in coming in and talking to people about all the wonderful, happy things. And you know what, let's laugh for 45 minutes and let's have a great time and let's all feel refreshed when we leave. We are living in perilous times, times that have no reference point. We have no you know, I mean, we're living in a in a day and an age where people have never seen the things that we're seeing. Okay, we need to be strong to do what we're assigned to do because there'll be, there'll come a day when all of us, me included, will stand before the Lord to judge to be judged for the life we've lived. I'd like to think I'm doing my best wherever I go to help people prepare for that day, to prepare for that moment. Okay, yeah, I could come in and crack jokes for 45 minutes and make people laugh. But at the end of the day, we're all going to stand before the Lord and answer for the life we've lived. And I want to do my best to help you prepare yourself for that moment when you stand alone. Your husband, your wife won't be with you. Your kids won't stand with you. Your pastor won't be there. You will stand face to face with Jesus Christ, and he's going to analyze your life day by day and judge you accordingly. And I would like for that experience on your behalf to be as favorable and as wonderful as possible. Can anyone say amen? Because I want the same thing for me. Okay, I want to surround myself with people who help me keep my sword sharp. Amen. And laughter can come along. You know, the merry heart does good like a medicine. I understand that part. But really, we need to understand the importance of spiritual strength in the day in which we live, now more so than ever. The book that Pastor Mike made mention of or referenced a few minutes ago, the one called Advancing Under Fire, uh, that book was written with these thoughts in mind because so many people fall away over time. They start out on fire for the Lord, but they don't finish the race. They start. They get sidetracked in many different ways for many different reasons. None of that is, you know, germane to what we're talking about tonight. But the point is they don't finish, okay? There's empty seats and chairs all across the world where people used to sit and be on fire for the Lord, and they are not there anymore. In the Philippines, we see this repeatedly. We see this over and over again, okay? People get saved in these crusades, and they get all turned on to God. Their life gets turned around. They get set free from all kinds of things. And then, you know, uh, for a while, they seem to be on fire for the Lord. And then, you know, over time, they go from the front row to the fourth row to the sixth row to the back row. And then out the door, they go over the course of 10 to 15 to 20 years. Now, having said all of that, what I want to talk with you tonight about is who you are in Christ. How God sees you. Let's say it that way. How God sees you. Not how you see you. Not how other people see you. But how God sees you as a child of God. Earlier today, we talked about the righteousness of God in Christ. We talked about the fact that in Christ, we become righteous. And when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see the mistakes. He doesn't see all the broken promises and all the mumbling, fumbling, and bumbling. He sees us as redeemed and righteous and ready to stand before him as if we had never sinned. That's what righteousness is. Well, you know, It's not our righteousness, it's his. Okay, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything is in him. It's not in us. Okay, but because of what he did, and then he exchanged uh, our sin for his righteousness and all of that on the cross, we have the ability now to stand before the Lord as the righteousness of God in Christ. So that's how God sees us. But then taking that one step further, that has to translate into a life that means something and a life where people actually do things that make a spiritual difference 
in their areas of responsibility or influence. In your case, we start with this town, Norfolk, okay? And from there, we go to wherever else God leads us. But the church is based here, so, and, you know, over the years, God's prophesied over this church, you know, how that it affects nations, it affects people in faraway places. And you, you're doing that, whether you realize it or not, even through a ministry like mine, you're affecting people on the other side of the world all the time. Praise the Lord. So, whatever assignment, let me back up and say it this way, whether it be in the spirit world or the natural world, the strongest always prevail. That's why God told Solomon to be strong, to do what has to be done, because the stronger always prevail. It is a fact. It is a fact of life. Whether it be natural or spiritual, the strongest always prevail over the weaker. Okay? And whatever assignment, task, or job that God gives to you, strength would be needed to complete the work because we're always doing what we're doing with resistance applied against us. You're never going to do something for God where the devil just stands around and lets you go do what you want to go do for God. There will always be somebody or some group of people or some religious nut job or some whatever out there that will try to stop what we're doing or the government, or whatever, okay? So when the devil comes to hinder, we simply must be stronger than he is to resist and overcome him. First John 4, 4, the classic verse we know so well, greater is the Spirit of God in us than the devil who is in the world, okay? So that's a truth that we need to embrace. But let's take it one step further. How do we make that a reality in our lives? It starts with a, with a, um, a mental understanding of who I am in Christ, well, I didn't go to Bible school. You don't have to go to Bible school for this. Well, I didn't, you know, I don't know that much. You don't need to know that much either to do what we're talking about here tonight. And what I want to do is go over to Luke chapter 11 and read a, a portion of ministry there where Jesus will cast a spirit out of somebody. Okay, earlier we talked about another instance where, you know, that demon-possessed child was set free by Jesus, the one that had the mute spirit and couldn't talk threw him into the fire all the time. So we looked at that one earlier. Now this will be another example of what Jesus was doing while he was on the earth. Okay? Now, remember this. If you and I tried to list and read all the miracles that Jesus did in three and a half years, John said at the end of his gospel, the books of the world could not contain them all. Meaning to say there are so many of them, he did so many miracles that, you know, it seemed like an endless list of, you know, people's lives being changed by the power of God. So what that means for us is that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four Gospels, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, the stories we read, the miracles we read about that are listed in those four books are hand-selected by the Holy Spirit. Because John said if we tried to list all of them, you couldn't do it. The books of the world couldn't contain it all. So the ones that are in here are in here for specific reasons. Can you agree with me? They're not just in there because the Holy Spirit has nothing better to do and he's trying to fill up space. Okay, I mean, if he wrote every miracle down, we'd be here until next year trying to read about them all. But the reason they're in here is for specific purposes. Okay, now, having said that, look with me. At verse number 14, okay? Luke chapter, now where did I go? Chapter, what was my chapter? 11. I hit the wrong button here. Okay. And then verse 14. All right. As he was casting out a demon, it was mute, 
And so it was that when the demon went out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted, divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He's not done. Verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. When he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. The guy actually ends up worse off at the end than he was before Jesus showed up to set him free. Now, this story is here for a purpose. God wants us to read this and understand some things about who we are and who our enemy is and how things operate down here. Okay, remember. Be strong and do it. That's always God's charge, whatever we're supposed to do, pioneer a church, run a Bible study, go to the mission field, be strong and do it. That's always the charge, but we're going to encounter resistance, like I said a minute ago. So let's break this down. This story here can be divided into sections. The first section is verses 14 to 20. This is the ministry part of life. This is Jesus casting a spirit out. And this is us operating now in his name, doing the same things. Remember what Jesus said. He said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. So if he's casting out demons, we should be doing the same thing. If he's setting people free, we should be doing the same thing. If he's, you know, uh, doing great things in the name of Jehovah God, his Father, we should be doing great things in the name of Jesus, his Son. Okay? The works that I do shall you do also. All right. So he's casting out the demon. Now, would you agree with me the demon doesn't want to go? He likes it there. Why? Because he's described. Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Okay. So the man that's bound is the one who is unable to set himself free. Who's the strong man? The strong man is the devil. Read the verses in context. Jesus just set that man free. The man could not set himself free. So Jesus comes along and casts that spirit out. And as we've all agreed a moment ago, the demon didn't want to go. He was forcibly thrown out. The word cast means to take and throw. Okay? Jesus didn't ask for permission, uh, demon, would you like to leave if you, you know, have nothing better to do? I would appreciate it if you go torment someone else for a while. After all, you've been tormenting this guy for a while, and I'd sure appreciate it if you'd go somewhere else. And the demon replies, well, okay, I'll go somewhere else and 
possess somebody else for a while. I'm tired of this guy. No, the demon got thrown out because somebody came along who was stronger and forcibly threw him out. The word cast in the Greek means to take and forcibly throw. He was not asked to leave. He was thrown out against his will. The demon didn't want to go, but the demon had to go because he knew he was facing somebody stronger than him. Like I said before, the stronger always prevail. That's the way things are. Now, so he says, when the strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Okay, this is the second part. This is who we are, and this is who the devil is. All right, when that man is bound, the devil is the strong man holding that man in bondage against his will. He doesn't want to be in bondage, but he can't set himself free because the strong man has him bound up. His goods are in peace. The jail cell is locked. It's, it's you know, you can't get out. The guy wants to get out, but he can't because the strong man has control over his life because the other guy, the, the victim, is too weak to set himself free. Okay, so Jesus comes along and sets him free. So that's the ministry. But then verses 21 to 23 identify who the players are. The strong man is the devil. He's the one binding the people. You know, you know and in our day and age he's the one binding multitudes of people everywhere well all kinds of sins and all kinds of uh, e evil issues and whatever else he's the one binding people they can't set themselves free they don't want to be bound by drugs but they are they don't they don't want to be bound by pornography but they are they don't want to be bound by alcohol but they are and you know they can't set themselves free into the best of people's abilities you know these programs are developed alcoholics anonymous and whatever else but at the end of the day you know it's a spiritual issue it always is Spirits are behind these things. And if you really want to get to the root of the problem, and if you really want deliverance that will last lifetimes, you got to go to the root. That means you go to the spirit controlling the situation behind the, behind the scenes. Okay, so the devil is the strong man. We are the stronger. Notice verse 22. When a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusts in and divides his spoils, and that's us. We are the stronger man. When did you become the stronger man? When you got saved. But if you don't know you are, you can't act like one. You can't talk like one. You can't live like one. The greatest tragedy in the body of Christ, in this preacher's opinion, are all the Christians who allow the devil, who is a defeated foe, to push them around whenever he wants to torment them, to bring fear into their lives like we talked about earlier today. That is a tragedy, and it is an insult to the cross. It's an insult to God that Jesus would die and make all of this power available to people who let the defeated foe continue to defeat them. And, you know, it's like, come on already. I mean, what, what else does God need to do to let us know that there's nothing standing in our way except us? Okay, we are our own worst enemy through a lack of knowledge. What does the Bible say? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Most Christians don't realize that in the broader context of life, there's the strong man, the devil, and there's the stronger man, the Christian, the child of God, male or female, doesn't matter. And the point is we can do what we do because we can. Why? Because we're stronger. That's why. When I went to school, I went to St. Clair's Elementary School. And uh, this was a Catholic elementary school back in the 50s and 60s. And 
every day they had recess. You know, we had morning classes. I think we started at 8.30 until 12. We had lunch for 20 minutes, and then they let us go out into the playground, which was also the parking lot for the church. They let us go out into the playground for about 40 minutes of running around. You know how kids are, running off all the energy. And then we'd come back into class for a couple afternoon sessions, and then we'd be dismissed about 3 o'clock. That was the, the game plan day by day. Well, Recess was supposed to be a happy time for us students, but for me it was a time of terror because there was always, and I can remember their faces and their names even, the kids in class that were always two or three grades behind because they were too stupid to graduate with everybody else, so they got held back, or you know, they should have been on the JV football team, and they're in the third grade. And so they knew they were bigger than we were, we knew they were bigger than we were, and they took pleasure in pummeling us all through recess. We didn't have time, you know, jumping rope and playing with our friends. No, no, no. We we hide it, we hid behind bushes and trees and rocks, hoping that they didn't find us and beat us up for 40 minutes. Coming back into class, you know, bloody nose and, you know, scars and scratches and all this. This was my recess, year after year, because they were bigger than we were, and they knew it, and we knew it. Okay, we would try to resist, but we couldn't. They were just larger kids than we were, and they could beat us up anytime they wanted because they could. And here we are in the body of Christ today, and we can beat the devil up on our worst day and on his best day. We can still clean this clock because we can. If you see yourself this way, it has a radical change on how you deal with problems and deal with the devil. You don't put up with stuff. You throw him out. You cast him out. Just like Jesus cast that spirit out, we cast him out. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean demon possession per se, but you just, you're tired of of allowing the devil to have a place in your life, in what, or your children, or your marriage, or your job, or whatever the case may be. All right. Now, he has this verse here, verse 23. This verse seemingly does not fit. He's talking about the strong man binding up, and, you know, when the strong man fully armed guards his own palace, the palace would be the person. His goods, the goods would be the people that are in bondage. His goods are in peace. But when the stronger comes along and overcomes him, he takes. Notice the word takes. You don't ask for permission. You go into the devil's kingdom and you rock it and you turn it upside down in the name of Jesus. You torment the devil. Are you listening? Most, you know, you talk this way in most churches. They stare at you like you just got off the bus from Mars. They have no idea what you're talking about. You take from the strong man all of his armor in which he trusted. You divide his spoils. Does he want you to divide his spoils? No. But can he stop you? No. Again, he cannot because you're stronger. And you don't go, you don't need to go to Bible school for any of this stuff. I mean, you're qualified five seconds after you accept Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit and you are now able to be this kind of person with this kind of mindset. So he says in verse 23, he who is not with me is against me. And he who doesn't gather with me scatters. Where's that coming from? What does that mean? In the context of the strong man, the stronger man setting people free, what's that got to do with anything? Verse 23, it seemingly is this weird statement out of the blue that doesn't have a connection with what's going on. Remember now, Jesus is not schizophrenic. He's not going to jump around talking about incoherent subjects here, there, and everywhere. And so the listeners wondering, where are you going with this? No, everything has a purpose. Every statement has a point. What he's trying to get across to the reader, remember the Holy Spirit picked the story. What he's trying to get across to us is this. 
If you don't think of yourself and live like the stronger man or woman of God, he who is not with me is against me, meaning to say you're actually a spiritual liability. You are not a blessing. You are not an asset. You are a liability. You are dead weight, dead wood that we've got to drag along. You are what many pastors have to put up with, the chronic counseling where people come in with the same issues over and over and over and over again. It's like, can we move on? You know, I mean, come on. You, you, we were talking about this six months ago. We were talking about this with you when you first got saved five years ago, and we're still going over the same territory over and over again. Would you please grow up, get the binky out of your mouth, put the helmet on your head, pick up your weapons, and join us on the front lines and be an asset and not a problem? That's what he's talking about. If you're not with me, you're against me. And that many Christians are just problems. Are they saved? Yes. Are they going to heaven? Yes. Thank God for all of that. But in the church, they're nothing but a headache for someone else. Okay? Because they keep complaining. They keep murmuring. They keep, you know, going back over the same territory. The devil keeps whipping them in the same areas over and over and over again. And they keep coming back in for counseling to go over the same stuff over and over and over again. For years. They never, you know, they never grow up. They never grow out of that, that stage. Listen, I tell my pastors, you can, you can love people as a pastor and work with them through the formative years of growth, like maybe one or two years after born again, when people are learning about who they are in Christ, learning about what they have in Christ, learn, you know, in churches like this, fine, give them, give them some space, give them some slack, one, two years maybe. But at that point, at some point along the way, you've got to stop coddling these people. Can anyone say amen? This is why my counseling sessions are about 37 seconds on average because we're just not going to circle the wagons for 45 minutes going over the same stuff again. Okay, my pastors come in one time. They unload. They talk about all their problems, all their difficulties, and we go through this once. And then I'll give them all the verses to cover their problems that they're in there to talk with me about, and then I'll say to them, don't come back in talking to me about these same problems because I just gave you the verses that cover this. Go do what the Bible says. Be the stronger person. Be the stronger man. Be the stronger woman. And quit letting the devil beat you up in the areas where you're in here talking to me about. Because these verses tell you that you can do all things through Christ. They tell you that greater is the Holy Spirit in you. They tell you that God will never leave you. They tell you that you have a name above every name. They tell you that blood's on a mercy seat to cover your sins. All of this is there for you. So don't come back in talking to me about this again, because if you do, the counseling is going to be shorter than it is today. Point being, I want to be with Jesus. I don't want to be actually against him. Anyone want to be with me? I want to be working with him, not against him. I don't want to be his headache, you know, his chronic counseling issue over and over and over again. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. This is where most Christians are. They are scattering. They're not gathering. They're scattering. Which then leads us to the third point, the third section, verses 24 through 26. This is what happens when you don't become the stronger person. This is what happens to you. This is the counterattack. This is the enemy coming back around. Now, he may not come back around right away. Might be a year. Might be two years. Might be five years. Might be ten years but he'll come back around. You can bet on it, okay? 
When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. What house? The man that got set free. Remember the context of the story. The man was set free. The strong man had him bound, but the stronger man set him free. Okay, so what happens when the stronger man set the victim free? Because the victim didn't do what the victim needed to do to become strong for himself or herself. When the demon comes back around to check and see how the house looks, he finds it swept and put in order. What does that mean? He's got his life together. He's not drinking anymore. He's not taking drugs anymore. He's not watching the pornography anymore. He's, he's got his house in order. He's going to church every Sunday. He's reading his Bible. He's got his promise box. But he's never taken the time to find out who he is or who she is. And as a result, they don't know how to defend themselves. If I may paraphrase, their house is swept and put in order. But the front door is open. When you leave your house to go to work or when you leave your house to go to church, do you not lock the doors? I mean, we do. Okay, we lock the doors. Why? Because there are people who would walk in and take everything if we left the door wide open. So we lock the door. We've got security cameras. Why? Because there are thieves out there. We do what we have to do to protect the things we buy and protect the things that are close to our hearts and things we need, from furniture to whatever, you know, electronics, you know, TV sets, who knows. We don't want someone just walking in and carting everything off. So we lock the door. Okay, what would you think? If somebody bought this beautiful house and furnished it with just top-flight furniture, top-flight audio equipment, you know, the cutting-edge TV and the cutting-edge Blu-ray player and whatever else is out there, and then left the door open and went to work or took a two-week vacation somewhere and left the door wide open for everybody to drive by and see, what kind of person do you think this would be? What would you say about a person like that? What's wrong with this individual? And then why would they be surprised if they came home and the house had been ransacked and there's nothing left inside? Duh, because you didn't lock up. You didn't turn on the security system, whatever. Point being, the devil is going to come back around. You got to be, by that point, you better be the stronger man so that you can defend yourself. Put your walls up. Get your armor on. Get your helmet on. Get your sword out in your hand and learn how to use it. So that you can defend yourself, spiritually speaking, when the enemy comes back around. And you can bet on it, he's going to come back around. So, like I said earlier today, this is what we tell people if we have the time to do so. Okay, the Bible says the spirit comes, he finds it swept and put in order. I tell people, are you swept and put in order? Yeah, praise the Lord, I'll set free. Are you reading your Bible every day? No. Are you going to church every Sunday? No. You just told me somebody prayed for you and set you free. You just told me you had terminal cancer and someone laid their hands on you and you got healed. Is that not correct? Yeah, and I was dying and I got healed. Are you in church? No. Are you uh, reading your Bible every day, praying? No. I said, mister, you're setting yourself up for the counterattack. You, you know, we'll see you in another hospital sooner or later. Might be five years from now. We'll, we'll, we'll be back in the hospital counseling with you again as you lay there dying. Because you didn't do what you needed to do to protect yourself after you got set free. Amen. So, you know, I mean, I don't know where you are, but I don't want to be caught unprepared. I don't want to be caught at the sentry post asleep at my post. Amen. 
I don't want the devil to just walk in and do whatever he wants to do with my life because I was too lazy to set up my defenses and protect myself as the stronger man or stronger woman of God. The stronger man takes what he wants, but when he does, you gotta, you gotta understand, you will be marked. Okay? The devil will come back around because you just took something from him. You think he's gonna like, like that? You just, you just took people out of his kingdom? He's not gonna just stand there and let you do that. He's gonna try to wreck your life. Because of what you're doing for the Lord, he's going to try to come back around and neutralize you if he can. Why? Because you're doing things for the glory of God and you're turning his kingdom upside down. That's what we're supposed to do. But in the process, have enough wherewithal, spiritual awareness to understand the bigger picture. It's not all about me clapping and, you know, happy time and, you know, increased conference and I got a million fold return coming my way. Listen, in the day and age in which we live, you got to think past all that stuff. Can you say amen? You know, I just don't have a lot of patience with these people. God bless them. You know, they, they, they can't see past their nose. And they claim to be Christian, and they, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how to defend themselves. And so they're, they're, they're relying upon someone else's faith. The pastor, usually, it's the pastor. They, they think that if the, you know, the pastor can bail me out, you know, or if I got problems, I'll run back to the pastor. That'll work for a while, but at some point, God's going to expect that person to grow up. And there might be a time when you're out on your own, honey, and there is no pastor. This is what I found out when I went to the Philippines. When I was at Ramah, man, I had I was surrounded by the men and women of faith galore. I mean, like, wow, I'm with this one and this one and this one. You know, I mean, like, geez. You know, I'd sit under these people and just learn and digest and, and, and you know, just soak it all in for nine months. I thought, wow. But then I left for the Philippines. And, man, I found out quickly. I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did. And I wasn't as cool as I thought I was. And I wasn't spiritually as sharp as I thought I was either. Because when I got out there and it was me against the world, and there was no more Kenneth Hagin, and there was no more, you know, uh, Fred Price and Kenneth Copeland. Now, these people were around. There was no bookstore on the street corner anymore. No, you know, Internet, nothing. I mean, I was on my own with my Bible, and that's it. And I'm facing, you know... Demon-possessed people, communist rebels, Muslim insurgents, knuckleheads, and demon-possessed people of all kinds and sorts, shapes, fashions, and forms. And they're all on at my meeting at the same time. you know. And I'm dealing with a volunteer staff, a, people, a group of people that don't know anything about who they are in Christ. Man, I found out quickly. I better, I better study up or I'll never make it past the first year over there. You know, witch doctors, voodoo practitioners, you know, people trying to put spells on you, bullets flying by while you're preaching. I guess they didn't receive. What do you think? Just a tad bit of resistance I'm sensing here as the bullets fly by. You know, I'm sensing a little bit of resistance here. What do you think? You know, praise God. But we're here and we're going to continue the race and run it until we're done. Amen. Because we are, I am what you are. We all are the stronger man, the stronger woman of God. Learn to think this way. And when you do, just mark it down. You'll lose most of your friends. If you adopt this kind of attitude, you can mark it down. Your list of friends is going to shrink considerably. And when that happens, don't cry over it. Rejoice because of it. Because if those people, listen, if they don't help you sharpen your sword, they are not your friends. They're just people that like your company, okay? But they're not your friends. Friends help you draw closer to the Lord. Friends help keep your sword sharp. Friends do not tolerate lethargy, laziness, and apathy. Friends call you out and say, hey, I saw you at the movie theater last night. What was going on? Hey, I saw, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
The, I looked at your call history. Where were you? What, who's this call? Who's this person? You know, they, they'll call you out. These are the friends you really need in your life to help you keep your sword sharp. Amen. Because the uns, unclean spirit is going to return. Mark it down. Okay. So praise the Lord. I mean, we need more people like this all around us, all on the front lines. And this is what now more than ever we have to have. We need churches full of people like this. Okay. Now in a church, you know, you've got people at all different levels of spiritual growth. I understand that. I got it. But the people that have been there for a while, it's time to grow up. It's time to, to get out there, pick up your weapons and join the fight. Amen. Instead of always being back at the mash tent, getting bandaged up for the last wound, you know, it shouldn't be that way. Praise God. We should be inflicting wounds on the enemy. He should be running for cover every time we get up in the morning. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, you know, just I, I want to encourage you, you know, we're, you know, we're one year. I was here in February, so we're almost getting up on a three quarters of a year down the road. Jesus hasn't come yet. So, you know, the next time I come, it'll be a year down the road from today. Where are you with all of this in your life? Okay. Once again, it's not just all about sitting in a service and listening to a sermon and saying, wow, what a great message. I was really blessed. Let's come to a place where we really once and for all get involved, get in the game. If we're not, if you are, I salute you and let's stay in the game. Let's not fall away. Let's not get offended over things that are not that important. Amen. Let's let things that are not important, leave them alone. We're here doing a work for job, for God. You can't be friends with everybody, so don't try. You can't like everybody. It's impossible. And, you know, there are Christians out there that I don't like. I don't have to like them. I'm commanded to love them. Love and like are not the same. I, may, I don't like a lot of Christians for different reasons, but I don't have to like them, but I am commanded to love them. There is a difference. Amen? Praise the Lord. Guys, it's kind of quiet here tonight. Can't imagine why, but praise the Lord. I am, you are the stronger man. We take what we want. We take what we want. We don't ask the devil. We go into his house and we ransack it at will. And he can just stand there and watch. He can huff and puff, but he can't hurt us or harm us because we know who we are in Christ. Amen? And if you're not 99 years old and at the end of your race, you've got a long way to go and God will and is prepared to protect you all the way through to the end. Once again, the fear of the future, like we talked about earlier today. Don't be so paranoid about the future. You know, well, what's going to happen if ISIS comes? Well, what's going to happen if, you know, Russia? And what's going to happen if, if the Democrats win? What's going to Listen, forget all of that. We are serving God. We operate at a different level. We call and we are called out by someone else. His name is God through Jesus Christ. Amen.